Welcome to the Front Proof Nation podcast. This is episode six. I'm your host, Joseph Correa, along with your other host, Hector Franco. What's going on, everybody out there? Let's go ahead and talk some boxing and all other things in the sports world. So this week, we have a big fight, a big heavyweight fight. Big heavyweight fight at the MGM Grand Garden Arena from Las Vegas, Nevada. Deontay Wilder will attempt to make the 10th title defense of his WBC heavyweight championship in a rematch against Cuba's own Luis King Kong Ortiz. Now, we do remember last year in March of 2018, these two clashed in one of the best heavyweight fights. You know, probably the last five to 10 years, one of them, one of the top five. Uh, Wilder did come out on top with a 10th round TKO. Heading into this rematch, what are your thoughts about it? And also, I wanted to ask you, are you surprised that Wilder gave him this rematch? Uh, not surprised. You know why? Because Wilder has shown that he'll fight anybody. Yeah. So yeah. a lot of people, a lot of detractors, you know, were like, Wilder is this and that. He's wild in the ring. You know, but his awkward style works for him. He has found a way to use that awkward style to be very, very effective. And you see he's getting guys out of there. Um, he promised the rematch. And nothing told me that he wasn't going to do it because yeah. I haven't really yeah. seen him duck anybody yet. No, in fact, you know, you may remember, um, I think maybe 2017, 2018, he was supposed to fight Alexander Povetkin in Russia. You know, they didn't go down because of Povetkin's uh, failing the drug test. But one of my favorite quotes that Wilder actually said on the lead up to this fight with Ortiz is that these guys have to be perfect for 12 rounds to beat me. I have to be perfect for two seconds, or I think he said one second. So basically what he's saying is you guys can try and outbox me. You can do whatever you want to do. You could try whatever you want, but I got that eraser. I got that, that, that 27 point touchdown, that 60.3 pointer, you know, basically he, he's got that, got that cannon to stop anybody at any time. So this is going to be an interesting rematch. I mean, do you do you favor Wilder to to pull up the pull off the victory again? Before I give that word, what interesting fact about Wilder? Do you know he's knocked down every single every single opponent he's been in the ring with thus far? That's impressive. at least once that's in every impressive. fight. Yeah, that's so impressive. even in the fights that went the distance, he's at least knocked his man down once. And mind you, the fights that have been that have gone the distance, that's just two. I mean, Tyson Fury and uh, Bermaine Stavern. That's it. Yeah, but we saw what That's happened it. to Bermaine Stavern in, in yeah. the second fight. That, that yeah. might have been that might have been his poster moment knockout. You know, that what, or the Spilka fight. I, I would agree with that. But my favorite, and it's really, it's not my favorite aesthetically. Like what I mean by that is how it looked, just the sound of it, the viciousness of it. Was that Dominic Brazil knockout? Yeah, man, oh, that, yeah, that was. <sighs> That was man, that was brutal. It as sounded well. like a shotgun went out in the arena, man. So, yeah. you know this this is a fight I'm, I'm really looking forward to. Um, I'm glad that Ortiz is getting a second opportunity here. Um, I, I definitely think that he came close to stopping Wilder himself. Fifth round, poor fifth round. Um, you know, and sorry, seventh round. Was it he the seventh? Yeah, he okay. was he was knocked down in the fifth round. Oh, that's and right. Ortiz was he, down uh, yeah, once in the fifth hurt, and twice in the tenth, and then so. he hurt Wilder really bad in the seventh yeah. round, and. You know, yeah. there's controversy saying that, you know, they gave Wilder time to recover and whatnot, but, you hey, know, but we're here now. Yeah. And, and, and so. at the end of the day, like 
you you can make any arguments. At at the end of the day, he got the the job done, and you know, like you said, we're here. We're here. I mean, th- this rematch, I think, um, is going to be a great fight. But I do want to bring up something here that I think needs to be talked about. You know. The PBC Premier Boxing Champions, this this fight, Wild Ortiz 2, is going to be on pay-per-view. Um, it will be showcased, you know, at some of your local theaters, you know, as well. So go on and check that out. But, you know, we've had a lot of boxing pay-per-views this year from the PBC. You know, Pacquiao twice, Pacquiao Thurman, Pacquiao Broner. Um, you know, we had... Uh, what was it? Uh, Sean Porter against Errol Spence. You know, I feel like I'm forgetting another one. And then we got this one here. So... It's funny the transition of how the PBC started, you know, and, you know, they they were marketing boxing for free. You know, remember that now we're here and, you know, I'm guessing a lot of things changed financially for them. But, you know, do you think do you think that this fight is pay-per-view worthy is my question? Absolutely. There's not too many bigger fights that you can make in the heavyweight division because say what you want. But Luis Ortiz is for real. Yeah. I so agree. here agree. are a couple questions. Is Luis Ortiz 50 years old? You know, that that's that's a big question. That's a legitimate question because, you know, with Cuban amateurs that come over, sometimes you don't know their age. And that right. that's the same thing happened with Rigo, if you remember. Like, how old is this dude for real? Yeah. Um, he looks like he's in great shape. Luis Ortiz, like, like better I mean, than ever. That doesn't yeah. always say everything because look at Andy Ruiz. But right, right, of course. He looks like he's in great shape. He looks like he's ready. Um, I thought he outboxed Wilder beautifully. But as you mentioned, it only takes one shot and that can change everything. I think he kind of was lulled to sleep. I think he got overconfident in the first fight. I think he was controlling the fight for the most part. He got clipped in the fifth, dropped. But, you know, after that, he composed himself again. Then he hurt Wilder. And I think he got a little comfortable. And that was to his demise because that uh, Wilder never gave up. Wilder kept pressing. Wilder kept throwing shots and then clipped him again. And that's all she wrote. Well, I just got a lot, got a lot of heart, man. And you know, speaking of Ortiz's age, he's listed at uh, forty years of age on on boxrec.com. But you know, it's it's funny. I've heard that rhetoric a lot uh, by a lot of media members about uh, talking about his age and stuff. But you know, I'm I'm surprised nobody's just straight up asked him how old he is. I mean, would he lie? Maybe he would, but it's funny to me. I mean, uh, you know, if I met Luis Ortiz, it might be something I would ask him. But because it, it seems to be a way for a lot of media to kind of dog him for some reason uh, about his age, like he's lying about it, it you know, as a way to kind of dismiss this rematch. But, you know, I'm looking forward to it. You know, um, as a Southpaw, one of the heaviest punchers in the sport, I, I think either one can score a knockout in this fight. Um, but. My prediction, and this is really just going off of recent activity, um, I think that Wilder might score an earlier stoppage on Ortiz uh, this time around. Um, But we'll see. I mean, what are your thoughts on that, your prediction? I I could see that as well, just because of, you know, the experience in big fights. You know, he's got the Tyson Fury uh, bout under his belt now as well since that fight. You know, so he's fought the bigger fights um, I think he's ready for this moment. You know, I like Luis Ortiz a lot and he, de- if anybody can pull it off, it's him because of his boxing skill, but right. he has to 
be aware all 12 rounds. He cannot lull himself to sleep once again or be lulled to sleep by what's perceived as being untouchable because you see he got touched. So he just has to know. He knows what he's dealing with now, so he's kind of in a better position. He knows the type of power that Wilder possesses, so now he's going to be a little more aware, I think. So I I think a late-round stoppage by Wilder. I think uh, okay. I think it'll be reminiscent of the first fight in terms of like the time frame. All right. Yeah, I could I could see that as well. I mean, definitely this is going to be an interesting fight, you know. And, and speaking of uh, you know, that fight, you know, we got some other fights on the undercard as well. You know, we got Leo Santa Cruz making his uh, debut as as super uh, featherweight to take on Miguel Flores for the WBA super featherweight title. This is kind of a weird fight. In the, this is another example of the WBA just fooling boxing fans. Um, you know, it makes no sense that Gervonta Davis will vacate that title. And instead of awarding Andrew Cancio as the WBA or full WBA super lightweight, or excuse me, super featherweight champion, you know, they put that belt up for Leo Santa Cruz and Miguel Flores. Bro, um, that's the win a belt association. <laughs> that's the win. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Listen. It doesn't make sense it, to me. It man. doesn't. Uh, I think Leo Santa Cruz should win this fight. If you've ever seen Flores fight, he's a little wide with his punches. He's tough. Right. But Leo is very good at throwing straight punches and volume. So he should be able to not only outwork Flores, but I think the straight punches uh, may get to Flores as well. Uh, He will probably score a stoppage win as well. You know what's funny about Leo Santa Cruz, man? Just looking back, you know, I remember... 2012, 2013, he was really, he was like a fan favorite, man. Back when he was at Bantamweight taking on guys like Victor Terrazas, uh, Christian Mahares. But, you know, as the years went by and he became less and less active and, you know, he started taking on less and less fights than we wanted to see, you know, you know, sans the Carl Frampton and uh, Abner Mahrez fights. Um, but, you know, Leo Santa Cruz to me is... He's definitely a successful boxer. He can, you know, be in exciting fights. But there's a lot of times that I feel like he he could have done a lot more with his career so far. Um, but, you know, I, I definitely want to see him in with more better competition consistently throughout, you know, because really the only real top names he's fought are Carl Frampton and, and Abner Mars. You know, those were great fights, especially the first Mares and the first Frampton fight. Uh, but... You know, for me, Santa Cruz is, is is somebody that it's more of a story of what could have been versus anything else. Like, you know, I don't know why he's not fighting uh, Gary Russell Jr. right now. You know, I, I think Gary Russell would fight him at 130. But, you know, then again, maybe Gary Russell made the wrong move doing what he did um, with uh, Santa Cruz's pops a few months ago. Yeah, that was atrocious, man. I don't I don't know what he's <laughs> yeah. thinking with that. And I know he came back and he apologized. And but the damage is done. Yeah. You can't do stuff like that. Yeah, it, it might have been uh, where maybe the fight could have been made, but maybe Santa Cruz now is like, well, you know what? I'm, I'm never going to fight you now. I think he'd beat him anyway. You think I, Santa Cruz would no, beat no, Russell? No, no, no. I Russell? think Russell would beat him. Yeah. Speed kills. Russell, I mean. Speed but, you know. kills. I mean, Santa Cruz, the volume, that would be something that Gary Russell would have to deal with. But 
you know, other than that. Yeah, I think he could deal with it, especially because he has that uh, experience of taking on somebody like uh, Vasily Lomachenko, who is also high volume. But Lomachenko, unlike Santa Cruz, is, you know, I think a little bit more high IQ. Um, in the ring, especially with this footwork. So, you know, I'm, I'm definitely, um, you know, looking forward, however, to seeing Santa Cruz again in the ring. You know, it's a, it's a solid undercard bout. Um, and along with the undercard, we're going to see some bantamweight action where Luis Neri, one of the top bantamweights in the world, will be taking on Emmanuel Rodriguez from Puerto Rico, who, you know, recently lost to uh, Nawa Inoue by second round stoppage in the World Boxing Super Series. This, to me, is an okay bout. Uh, you know, it's two contenders in the division, but, you know, I, I definitely see Neri stopping. Yeah, Neri's Rodriguez. gonna stop him. Um, Neri is one of the top fighters in the world, and I would love one day, hopefully we can see it happen. Um, you know, I know that the guys are on the other side of the streets promotionally, but I would love to see Neri take on Nawa anyway. You know, I think that would be a great fight. That'd be a solid matchup, and speaking of Nawa Inoue. Let's let's travel back a little bit just a few weeks ago. Uh, Nawa Inoue, if you don't know, now you know he fought Nonito Donaire on Thursday morning. And luckily, you know, for us on the East Coast, you know, we were good. Started at 7.30 a.m. from the Saitama Super Arena in Saitama, Japan. Uh, Inoue won the WBA and IBF uh, Bantamweight titles and also won the Ring Magazine title along with the Ali Trophy as the winner of the Bantamweight tournament and the World Boxing Super Series against Donaire. Now, for me, right now, this is my fight of the year. Um, and it, and it might have been, you know, maybe the timing of it, the fact that it took place on a Thursday morning. It was in Japan. It was against a guy that, you know, most boxing fans have an affection for and Nonito Donaire, a lot of respect for him as one of the best people in the sport, period. So, I mean, what were your thoughts on that fight, man? I, I thought it was, for me, it's the top runner for fight of the year. You know why that's the case, though? Because Donaire was written off by everybody. Yeah, yeah you're right. I didn't. And, I, yeah. and he kind of turned back the clock. Yeah, he I mean, showed a little vintage Donaire. We and look at our predictions, man. We, we thought Inoue was going to stop him. Yeah. And I I had it to the body. You had it to the body. And he did hurt him to the body. He did. He, he did. dropped him. It took him a while to go back to the body because of Donaire. But, man, it, it was just, it was high skill level, man. It was, um, he, you know, in, in this era where... And I, I call this kind of like the Mayweather effect or the Mayweather impact where if you lose, uh, you know, four rounds or five rounds, you know, you have trouble with a guy. It's, it's seen as a negative, you know, Floyd on top 12 owing people for years, you know, and then you got other pound for pound guys who are, you know, taking on top competition, but they're not, you know, 12 zipping these guys. And I, and I don't think that's a negative, man. I mean, you you need to be tested. We need to see what happens when you get hurt, and when everything doesn't go your way. You know, what, what's going to happen? How are you going to react? And Inoue reacted like a champion, man. Yeah, let's not forget that vicious cut he oh, sustained. Oh, that's so, right. You that's know, right. For a young fighter, he'd never been cut before. <sighs> yep. To deal with that early in a fight against a guy who's hungry like Donaire was. Yep. And Donaire fought. Fight Very with, valiant. Fought with something to prove. You yeah, know? absolutely. And nearly pulled it off, yeah. in my opinion. Like, it was close. I, I know a lot of people who had Inoue in their top pound-for-pound pound yeah, rankings man. and whatnot yeah. kind of 
we're forced to say, wait a minute, we need to see more of this dude because Donaire was able to do that. Granted, Donaire's one of the greatest, but, uh, you know, still, I think people thought a blowout was coming. Yeah. Just like yeah. every other fight, especially against uh, what was perceived to be faded Donaire. And we didn't right. get that. Donaire, no, again, showed up hungry. He showed up to win. Uh, and he almost did that, but yeah, ninth way, round, man. That ain't? ninth round when he hit him with that right hand, yeah. Ooh, you know, it, in a way it showed a trouble. lot. Yeah. In a way, showed a lot. You know, he braved the cut. He braved going through all those hellacious rounds against yep. a, a skilled, Made highly skilled veteran. Made adjustments and, and got the job done. Ultimately, yeah, it was it was a great fight. I I personally had it um eight four. Uh, for anyway, so I would have had it like 116, 111, I, but I could see 7-5 as well. There was a couple rounds on there, you know, swing rounds that I might have given to Inouye that could have gone to Donaire. So it was a close fight, and I and I actually love that this fight wasn't a blowout, man, because it, it's almost like if he blew out Donaire, it would have just told us what we what we thought you know Donaire is old you know we would have that would have been the narrative you know he's he knocked him out you know it was it would have been impressive it would have looked good but I think this looks even better a fight of the year like this but I, I I do agree um you know as far as number one pound for pound um you know maybe not right now but hey he's still top three I'll still tell you what three. though what it did tell me is that he can't fuck with Lomachenko. Like a lot of people are saying, you know, he's gonna go up and maybe you know not. Maybe he, we, he yeah, would take a, he would take a fight with Lomachenko at a at a catch weight somewhere. Lomachenko would beat his ass. I mean right and now. The, and the thing is Lomachenko, I mean he's at lightweight, one thirty two. So, you know, we haven't even seen it. And you know what? This is a perfect example he, he of why weight classes are important. He fought a lightweight though. Look how Donaire, he fought a lightweight. Look how Donaire though he he's the he's he only lost once at bantamweight before he fought in a way, and that was at his second professional fight. So you could tell that going back down in weight definitely reinvigorated uh, Donaire's career. And, oh, that's where he we, belongs. Yeah, that's, we, that's we, why. And we got to see um, in a way like at one twenty two. 126 first, you know that that Lomachenko fight was it's it's a fantasy. He he fought really. a lightweight though. Donaire oh, comes in. Yeah. Donaire comes in the ring big as hell. Yeah, weight wise. Yeah, yeah. yeah one, once he that. rehydrated, yeah. he was a lightweight. You know, but you know it, it was a great fight once again. But you know, Inoue just needs to keep building his career. Yeah, there's man. no rush. Yeah. He put in a valiant, uh, a great performance, uh, excellent performance, and. And no, no need to rush. No need to rush. And and right after the fight, he actually, um, you know, put out that he signed with Top Rank. So we won't really be seeing him, you know, on this the zone cards anymore. We'll be seeing him on ESPN. Hopefully, that means we'll be able to see him in with more, um, you know, contenders. Although, you know, his last few fights, Emmanuel Rodriguez, Juan Carlos Pajano. Jimmy McDonald and now Nonito Donaire, all former world champions, all solid contenders, you know, at the Bantamweight division. So, you know, I I, I think that the sky's the limit for this guy. I think um, in a way, as far as his next potential fights um, on the undercard, and and forgive me, I'm gonna butcher his name. Uh, he's from France, uh, Nordin Ubali. I think um, he might be managed or promoted by Roy Jones Jr. You know, I've, I remember seeing Roy Jones at, um, 
uh, ringside for his fight with Rashid Warren. I, th- uh, I think he trained him. Something like that. I'm not sure. In a, you know, in I don't want to speak. previous fight. Right? I, I, I thought I, I saw I, him on the, it, against Rashid Warren yeah, uh, earlier this so year. Too, yeah. But on the undercard of the uh, Inoue Donaire fight, um, he actually took on Inoue's brother. And uh, he won a unanimous decision, and he holds the WBC bantamweight title. So that's a logical next day, you know, revenge on your brother, you know, pr- promotion wise. And I think it's a solid fight. You know, that guy's pretty good. Um, he's undefeated as well, seventeen and zero with twelve knockouts. But besides that, at bantamweight, um, you know, for me, the other big fight uh, would be against Luis Neri. You know, that, that that would be the biggest fight. And then from there, you know, I could see him moving up in weight to one twenty two and one twenty six. Now. As far as Donaire, however, I mean, you know, he definitely showed that he has a lot left in the tank. Um, it was a tough, tough 12-round battle. Do you think that Donaire should continue his career? He doesn't have anything to prove. That's but maybe point. he should go beat Inoue's brother's ass. Right. Play the double right. revenge card, hey, you know? I mean, you know what? I, I, I think Donaire... You know, he 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 would be a solid test for, you know, someone like Ubali or even Luis Neri. You know, I wouldn't mind seeing him fight, get other opportunities. I think he definitely showed that he's still an elite fighter at Bantamweight, you know, because he took he took on in a way probably to his limit there. And um, it, it was it was a, a great fight. And I think it almost rose uh, in, in a sense, uh, maybe from. An all-time perspective, I think it might have raised uh, Donaire's stock. Kind of like for a lot of people, maybe for Pacquiao with Thurman. You know, that victory, you know, showed he, he could still contend with guys, um, you know, past his prime who are in their prime, you know, from another era. So this this was essentially that. I mean, Donaire and Inoue, they're different eras, man. I mean, Donaire's 37, Inoue's 26. So, you know, that that tells you pretty much everything there. Yeah, Um and, and I apologize for kind of being testy, you know, and like, yeah, you need to buy, fight his brother. But, you know, the whole Harrison Charlo thing just got uh, me amped. You know, uh, I'm just yeah. I'm just amped. These dudes have been going at it. Yeah. I mean, it sounds like, you know, you know, th- this is kind of obvious. But if you don't know, Tony Harrison and Jamel Charlo, that's the one at 154, not to be mistaken with Jamal Charlo at middleweight. They don't like each other. No, they don't like each other one bit. And I think that I don't know if they had beef, uh, you know, before their first fight where, you know, if you don't remember last December, um, Harrison defeated Charlo, gave him the first loss of his career. He won a unanimous decision um, at the Barclays Center for uh, Charlo's WBC 154 pound title. So now they're running it back with a rematch here. Um, I mean, do you favor either one of these two guys? I mean, that that first fight was really close, I thought. So here's what I'm going to say. That Harrison's living in Charlo's head right now. I mean, he's doing a great job with the mind games. Yeah. Um, unfortunately, that doesn't always translate in the ring. So, you know, Harrison has the tendency to be a front runner in fights. Yeah, yeah. I, I don't mean, think he can afford to do that. He he faded also in the Charlo fight, the first yeah, one. Yeah. He started to fade. He started to hold late, you yeah. know, and, and kind of just barely Charlo, got out of there. Yeah, that, that, that fight was really close. If you look at the judges' scorecards, Correct. two of them had it 115, 113. One judge had it 116, 112. But, you know, flip a couple rounds, 
there, you know, and, you know, it could have been a draw or a victory for Charlo. So it, it was definitely a fight that I thought deserved a rematch. But, you know, um, the festivities or the back and forth that took place at the uh, at the press conference to announce the rematch, you know, was uh, was one to remember, to say the least. Yeah, I'm going to kind of bring it in here just so if anybody hasn't heard some of the banter between these two you can kind of share laugh with us um apparently harrison faked a leg injury or ankle injury and you know that's been the talk all week whether or not that's something that happened and so charlo's been hanging on to that and and harrison's just being harrison he's a dude from the streets in detroit and let's just listen in on this clip you, you got the right one to play with. This ain't Jorge Coda. This ain't Jorge Coda. Oh, Jorge Coda going to go start, start, speaking, start speaking Spanish when you start talking and be like, oh, thank you. Nah. You got somebody from Detroit, dog. Okay. That whatever you want to do, we can do at any given moment, cuz. He was a man of his word, right? He admitted to fake-ass injury. The, bell, the WBC, to me, should have stripped him from his title right now for the shit that he pulled, right? If they ordered an immediate rematch and you pulled out of that, because of an injury, aren't you supposed to show all kind of reproofs and support all this other shit and get right back in the ring? I wipe the flow with, I mop the flow with somebody like him. In any given day, I mop the flow with him. And I'm here again, man, to prove it once again that he cannot with me. You act like your chin ain't made out mama, of style That's a style phone chin on you, bro. Man, you man, shut up. You, you knocking you everybody. On that ring. Come on, man, you got you, 33 fights. You was fight. holding on to me in the last 12 rounds. Man. In the last round. 12 you rounds. had 12, 12 rounds. rounds. This is me. We this only is get facts. 12 rounds, This dog. is facts, bro. We only get this 12 rounds. This is facts. You get 12 rounds to make your own fate. You had 12 rounds to do it. Now when the shit don't go your way, so, you act like so, a broad. So you act like a broad. Oh, man, the judges got it wrong. You had 12 rounds to make your own fate, cuz. Same way you did Jorge Cota. You had 12 rounds of that shit. Knocked him oh, out of three. Oh, 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 the judges did this. Oh, shut up. Shut the up. Take your whooping like a man, you gonna take it again. Take that shit like a man, stop crying. That's, that's what your boys need to tell you. Stop crying. I feel like I was born with a chip on my shoulder. I still walk around with a chip on my shoulder. Me too. And uh, it take, it take, it take, it, it take a, a competition it take, my whole it take, life, it take, I'm a twin. It, you're right And I, I, can, and I can tell I can tell you got that little man syndrome man. Yo, I, I can tell Jamal been beating your ass Since you've been a kid So some vicious words between Harrison and Charlo man It's got me really wanting to see this fight Yeah Where are is. your thoughts with this fight? I mean I, I'm, I'm excited for it It's not a fight that I was really checking for This year and now I am So I, I think it was definitely helpful And one thing that I definitely liked about it Is that Harrison is not intimidated at all by the Charlos. Zero. I don't, or by Jamel Charlo. And, you know, I could probably say both. I don't think he'd be intimidated by Jamal either. But just the way he sounds is that he sounds like he's very confident in what he can do and that he'll repeat what he did last December against uh, Jamel Charlo. I like that a lot because with the Charlos, they give out this impression that they're, you know, that they're somehow better athletes than everybody in the division. So, you know, it, it's definitely a test. And I think, you know, as you alluded to earlier, I think Harrison might be in Charlo's head. He absolutely is in his head. You could hear yeah. it. Yeah. You know, but additionally, Harrison's a good fighter. Right, right. The only fights he's lost are fights where he faded. Yeah, I mean, he got stopped. Willie Nelson. And Jerry Hurd. Yeah. yeah. I mean, but that, if you go and watch those fights. The Willie Nelson fight especially, he was ahead. 
He was definitely ahead in that fight. Yeah, he's a front runner. And Willie Nelson was a, a back end type of guy. He was the type of guy that, you know, starts slow and builds up. Right. Where is Willie Nelson? But, <laughs> That's a good question. Anyway, Willie? he, you know, so Styles made fights there. Like right. he played right into Willie Nelson's hands because Willie Nelson's a historic slow starter. Yeah. And he's yeah. a front runner, you know. So if Harrison got his stamina together. And he comes to this fight. Obviously, we know he's going to take it serious. He can win this fight. Yeah. And he I, can win it more impressively this time. I, I think he can. I mean, you know, Char the Charlos are, are weird in a way because they'll they'll do stuff like uh, the, he'll stop uh, Erickson Lubin in one round and then have a real razor thin decision win over Austin Trout, you know, who's probably on the tail end of his career, you know, at this point, too. So. The, the Charlos are more, I think they're harder to read than a lot of the, the fighters in the sport currently. They're, they're very up and down, you know, kind of inconsistent performances throughout their, their, throughout their career. But, you know, I, I'm going to say that I, I, I'm, I'm going to pick Harrison to win the rematch here um, by decision once again, maybe a little bit more clearer. I like the way he's talking. I like the confidence in it. And I feel like he might understand what he did wrong in the first fight. But, you know, it could go both ways. You it's know, Charlo is boxing, man. You never know until they actually get in the ring. We can talk, we can talk, we can talk. And all of this can sound great. It could sound good as promotion, but it don't really matter until they get in the ring. Nah, it only matters when they get in the ring, cuz. That's true. <laughs> and, 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 and speaking of it doesn't really matter till they get into the ring. Till something happens. We got to talk about this Miles Garrett situation. Oh, kind of switching gears here, boxing family, but we got to talk about this. We got we got to we got to break this down a little bit here. Um, Listen, give, give me some of your thoughts about okay, this Miles so, Garrett situation. So I've been watching NFL football all my life, literally. I have never ever seen anything like what I saw last week. Miles Garrett. Okay. So initially He's the one who kind of incensed the situation because he hit the quarterback late. Quarterback had gotten rid of the ball. The play was over. He, he took him to the ground. He had him in his grips, but then he took him to the it ground. Wasn't, um, it wasn't. I don't want to make it for the audience out there. So let's break that. Mason Rudolph is the quarterback Correct. for the Steelers. Correct. And then uh, Miles Garrett is, uh, what position does he play? Defensive up, huh? end. Defensive end for the Cleveland Browns. Correct. Okay. So, so Garrett takes him to the ground. Right. Was it a hard hit, though? Do you feel like no, it was something I, to get I mean, upset about? Well, I think he got upset because... It's kind of the league's fault in a way because the league is doing this thing where they're overprotecting and babying quarterbacks. Right. So they didn't throw a flag, believe it or not. But it was yeah. it was yeah, late. I, I mean, he had him in his grips, and then he kind of dragged him down. That right. was unnecessary. So, uh, you know, Mason got upset. He kind of tugged at. You know, he's trying to get away from Miles Garrett on the ground and kind of tugged at his helmet as if he were going to pull his helmet off. And boy, Miles Garrett exploded. Yeah. He, you know, he got a, he pulled Mason up by his face mask, one handed, and kind of then was, there was uh, a Steelers player who intervened. I think and, it was two Steelers players, two Steelers players. Yeah, who mistaken. intervened. And then uh, Mason comes running up and, you know, 
kept the fire going. Yeah, he ran so to Miles Garrett. This happened very quickly. This, yeah. this all happened like within a minute. Now, what I forgot to mention is when he pulled him up by the face mask, Miles Garrett actually pulled his helmet off. So now then Mason Rudolph runs over. It's my understanding, though, just not to interrupt you, but did, did Mason Rudolph attempt to pull off Miles Garrett's helmet beforehand, well, it too? Look, it looked like it. On the ground, it looked like uh, Mason Rudolph kind of tugged at the helmet. I don't know if it was intentional. I don't know. You know, it, it was hard to tell. Uh, some people are saying intentional. Obviously, Miles Garrett thought it was intentional. Right, um, right. He immediately jumped up. Pulled Mason Rudolph up by his face mask, which is very dangerous. Pulled off the helmet. And, you know, this is when the Steelers players intervened. Mason Rudolph ran over. And Miles Garrett proceeded to strike him in the head with the helmet. Now, thank goodness he hit him with the bottom portion of the helmet. And, you know, just like in boxing, Mason Rudolph kind of was falling back. So it was almost like he rolled with the punch, you know. So... It didn't. It didn't really make contact. Yeah, he, he did. He rolled with the helmet, but he didn't make contact like he could have. Yeah, thank goodness. So here's man, my issue with this. So the league suspends Miles Garrett indefinitely. The rest of the season, playoffs, whatnot. No obviously, pay. no pay. No pay. But what happens if we walk into a bar or anywhere else for that matter with a helmet and just beat somebody over the head with it? What's gonna happen? Man, you know what's gonna happen. We gonna get we gonna get assault charges. Yeah, you're going on us, man. You're going to j- dude. You could get attempted murder. Yeah, I mean, I mean, at the worst, depending the worst on how did. bad you know. Imagine if he would have hit him with the crown of the helmet, he definitely would have caused major, major damage. Yeah, he definitely could have, man. So, I'm not saying he should be arrested, but I'm shocked with the NFL and. And Roger Goodell, the way he cracks down on players. Because if this was Jameis Winston, right, Mm. he'd be suspended not only indefinitely, he'd have probably a record fine, and they'd be pursuing charges. Well, we know the NFL doesn't like the Bucs, but that that could be a whole nother. (laughs) But but I'm just saying, like, Miles Garrett got off easy, in my opinion. Wow. Um let me come from a slightly different different perspective here because I, I feel you you alluded to this a little bit earlier so I just want to get your thoughts here so you said that the NFL is protecting quarterbacks yeah. currently yep and I, I'm and listen before I get into this I'm not trying to defend miles Garrett I think he definitely should have been suspended for sure but Mason Rudolph I don't think he got a fine. I don't think he got anything. I think he to got fine. I think um, he got fine. He, uh, right. he, didn't, he didn't get suspended. Okay. He should have been suspended also. I think that he, in a, in a sense, when you start a fight, but you're not necessarily the one who ended it, um, I, I think Rudolph, in a way, he he got taken down, and I know that he was upset. He, had, From what I saw, it looked like he attempted to take off Garrett's helmet, and he failed at doing so. He got his helmet taken off, and then he charged at... Garrett um I I don't know I, I think he's kind of getting away a little bit here I mean you know I don't know how big the fine was but do you feel like um if this was another player who wasn't a quarterback that got hit do you think that you know an, another player uh would have got suspended along with the fine I just told you if it was Jameis Winston 
as the quarterback. No, I mean, like, if it wasn't a quarterback, like, if it was another position. Like, yeah. if Mason Rudolph played another position and got hit with a helmet. Um, no, because when I mention protecting quarterbacks, I mean in terms of getting roughed up. Ah, okay, okay. Not so gotcha. much protect, unless you're Tom Brady. If you're Tom <laughs> Brady, you can get away with anything. You can deflate balls, you know, what, whatever. Right, you can right. do whatever as Tom Brady. But I don't think Mason Rudolph uh, was protected in that manner. However, I am kind of curious why the league didn't hand him also a suspension. Maybe not indefinitely, um, but he definitely had some bad intentions by charging and whatnot. He could have just let it go, especially because his players had come to his aid. So it wasn't really necessary to go in like that. Uh, I get it. You're mad. A dude just pulled you up by your face mask. You're right, upset, right. but upset. your guys yeah. got your back already. Like right. it's over and they had it handled. Um, they might not have handled it the right way, but you know, just like if, if you're in the street, you know, and somebody bothers you, it, it's a it's a judgment call on the spot. Right, right. You know what exactly. I'm saying? And, and so you know, I get that. They're they're in the middle of a game. Their adrenaline is up. You know. Come on, man. L that game was over. <laughs> but you know what I mean, though. That they're, they're still athletes. You know, in, in a competitive game. Well, not a competitive game, but you know what I mean. In, in a sport where. You know, you're roughing each other up. You're hitting each other. Um, you're definitely getting contact. So I definitely think that if both guys were able to control their emotions and stay calm in a in a stressful situation, the whole thing could have just been averted. You know, for example, Miles Garrett could have just walked away after he took the helmet off, threw it down, walked away from the players, or, or ran to the sideline. Because I know the Browns players would have had his back. For sure. Uh, and vice versa. After he got his helmet taken off, Rudolph could have just, hey, he took off my helmet, you know, and, and didn't shouldn't have charged that Gary. So my my getting at is, um, you know, I don't want to, I didn't want this to look, make it seem like it was, was 100% Miles Garrett's fault with, uh, you know, nobody else, you know, being to blame. And I, I think that Mason Rudolph shares a, a little bit in that, you know, maybe not as much as Garrett because at the end of the day, Mason Rudolph didn't hit Miles Garrett with the helmet, period. You know what I mean? So I, I just think that if the the storyline here should be kind of a, a more so on Garrett, but, you know, I think Rudolph definitely deserves blame. Absolutely. So we mentioned Jameis Winston. So I'm just going <laughs> to, okay. I'm going to go there because I'm a Bucks fan If if you haven't figured it out already. So he's in his contract year, right? Right, right. So a lot of fans want him gone because, you know, wow. he's turnover prone. He is. Yeah. But, yeah. but in saying that, he's number three in yards right now. Mm. Um, he's only 25 years old. I, and that's crazy to say, being that he's been in the league as long he's as he's- He's only 25? He's only 25. So he's NFL's still young. Canelo. He's still young. He's got experience. Um, he has a winning attitude. He is turnover prone only because mm -hmm. Jameis since college has always tried to put the game on his back and do too much. Always. Right. That's, that's something if he has to come back, he's going to try to do it. He has a winning attitude. He never feels like he's out of it. No matter how many interceptions he throws, it never breaks his confidence. He's kind of like Tony Harrison in this fight. Yeah. He just, his confidence is always there. It never wavers no matter what happens. So 
in saying that, right, if they re-sign him, we're looking at probably $25 million a year, mm. you know, over four or five years. Um, they have the option to franchise tag him. When you franchise tag, you have to pay him within the top uh, five quarterbacks, that, that kind of money. So they okay. have that option. But they have Jason Pierre-Paul, which is a premier pass rusher, and Shaquille Barrett, who they only signed to a one-year deal. He leads the league in sacks right now. Um, he's going to be a free agent too. So they, mm. may they, they may not have the money to pay all these guys. I see. So okay. what my question is, the Bucks have needs, right? So their offense is humming right now with Jameis, even with the turnovers. They're averaging over 30 points a game. Okay? Now, that I can't say that for any Bucks team. These last two have been very good. So right. they have the nucleus to win. They have a young secondary that's terrible, uh, but they're, you know, they're talented guys. They have a great defensive line, but they risk losing that because Indomitian Sue, who they signed in the offseason, who was once a, a very dominant defensive tackle, yeah, uh, he has really helped them uh, become the number one run defense. Especially since they lost, um, man, I forget Gerald the name McCoy. of the, Gerald McCoy to the Panthers, right? To the Panthers. Now, Gerald mm. McCoy was more of a finesse player and a, a pass rush specialist. Sue it used to be more pass rush and... Uh, lacked the run stopping skills, but as he's aging, he's yeah. a year older than McCoy. He has developed more run stopping skill. He still can provide in the pass rush area, but you know, they have a young defensive line that is, is very good. Mm. Uh, they probably have the most dominant uh, defensive tackle in the game aside from Aaron Donald and Vita Vea. He's, he's a wrecking ball. Yeah. Um, so they got decisions to make. Do you think, they should re-sign Jameis, or or do you think they should go out and try to to find someone else? You know, because he's been he's had five years to to make it happen. Yeah, I mean, you know, for me, you know, I'm not I'm not a huge uh, football expert here, but for me, having watching the Bucks over the last few years since Jameis came on board, it seems like the thing with them that I've noticed is that they tend to beat themselves. More than anything else there. I can't count. And, you know, we were live, I think, for a uh, Rams game a few years ago back in 2016. It's like this team just doesn't know how to win. And they constantly collapse in the second half or the fourth quarter of games. And, you know, I'm not sure if that's so much the coaching, uh, Winston. It, and it, it's hard to say, man. I mean, maybe if they can get something serviceable, you know, if, Instead of Winston, but you know, I I don't I don't know if a lot of really good quarterbacks are going to come down or yeah. want to come down to Tampa. Is the same is the thing. So maybe they should resign him, man. So here's my thoughts. I I think what they're going to do, and I'll close out here. I think they're going to franchise him uh, to give themselves another stopgap year, because if you look at the quarterbacks that are going to be available in free agency. None of them are as good as Jameis. Uh, you're not going to okay. draft a guy as good as Jameis because you're going to have to teach him too. Yeah. He's going to be turnover prone. He's going to be young and right, not right. know the NFL. So I don't think that they can find anybody on that level because Jameis already has some records and he has been to a Pro Bowl. Right. Um, and he has the top two receivers in the league. 
Mike Evans is number two and mm. Chris Godwin's number four in the league. So two top five receivers. Uh, yeah, I can't yes. think of any yes. Bucks team ever that that's been like that, but it's going to be interesting to see. We'll see. I mean, we'll, we'll definitely, the, the, the story of the Bucks is always, uh, interesting to me, especially in this area. You know, they always say it's a Bucks life, man. Hey, you know, if, and you know what, if the Brown, this is not going to happen. But hypothetically, if the Browns cut Miles Garrett behind this, hey, if I'm the boss, <laughs> send him on down. Yeah, send him down. We can use it. Why not, man? I mean, you know, one thing, you know, before before we uh, kind of end the show here, you know, with the Bucks, I just want to know this since you've been a bigger fan. Um, is it true that the Bucks have this thing where they let go of guys and they go to other teams and they become way better? On another team, has that been a thing with, with the with the history of the Bucks? You want me to give you a rundown? Let me let me let me hear it. Let hey, me hear it. Okay, so the Bucks had Doug Williams. Okay, right? He was a, a fantastic quarterback here. Um, they let him go. He won a Super Bowl. They had Steve Young. <laughs> what Steve Young? Steve like Young. The, the, Steve, Steve, Steve Young. Young they had him okay. on the bench at that. Let him go. He goes on to become a Hall of Fame quarterback, one of the best ever. I didn't know about that one. Yeah, man. <laughs> I didn't yeah, know about that one. They let go of John Lynch, okay. saying that, you know what, he's he's done. He went to Denver and tore it up. He, mm. he still had Pro Bowl years. Uh, you know, uh, McCoy's having a decent year this year. Right. Um, and he he knows the Bucks too, so it'll be interesting when they play each other. I don't, I don't, have they played already this year? Oh, they've played they twice. Played, they played twice already? Okay. Yeah, they played twice, and we we split. We beat them the one first one. game, and then, you know, the NFL kind of threw dirt on us and made us go to London and use one of our home games in London, and they destroyed us. That's actually— Is that what happened? Yeah, that's wow. actually really the only game I can think of where they got destroyed. But gotcha. on that note, man, you know, we're not, I, we could talk NFL, all, especially me all day. Uh, we really appreciate you tuning in to the Front Proof Nation podcast. Once again, this was episode six. Make sure to follow us on Instagram at Front Proof Nation. Also Front the Proof parent Media. company at Front Proof Media. You can mm -hmm. also follow us on Twitter at Front Proof Media. Any questions you want answered on the show or any questions in general, you can email us at fpnation at frontproofmedia.com. Absolutely. Um, you could also email us, uh, you know, if you want to speak to us directly, you know, editor at frontproofmedia.com or uh, hfranco at frontproofmedia.com or jcorea at frontproofmedia.com. You know, we got a lot of good stuff coming up. We are, as the as the week's Keep on going by. Uh, we're going to be discussing a lot of, uh, you know, who we feel is the fighter of the decade and who the candidates are, kind of breaking that down a little bit week by week. Um, I think next week we're probably going to start with the guy who we both feel is probably the leading man um, for the fighter of the decade. And this oh. is from 2010 to 2019. And I think a lot of you might know who that is. We're going to keep that a secret, though. So thanks again for tuning in. Make sure... To subscribe on Apple Podcasts, on Spotify, on Google Play, or any el anywhere else that you listen to your podcasts. And make sure, if you like the show, to leave us a five-star rating and a review. We're always looking to improve. Once again, thank you for tuning in. We're out.